Well, this time we're going to, to turn to a word from Scripture. Now, we are right now in the middle of a, a sermon series that we're calling the Tech Commandments. Each week in this sermon series, we're exploring the ways in which cell phones and social media and the internet are changing the world and changing us. We're asking the question, how can we use all of these technologies? How can we be present in these virtual worlds without, without losing our souls? Each week during this sermon series, we're going to hear a passage from a letter that was written by a man named James. This week sharing our scripture reading with us is going to be uh, going to be our friend Audrey. And Audrey's got a couple special guests this morning. Her sister Lydia is going to also be, be appearing with, uh, with, with Audrey this morning. And there's going to be one other special guest who you're about to see in a moment, but I won't give that one away. All right, I'm going to turn things over to Audrey as she shares with us this morning's reading from the book of James. Morning, Torch. The teddy bear said hi. James chapter 2, 14 through 18. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister make, is naked and lacks, go in peace, keep warm, and eat in fill, and yet you do not have the supplies your body needs. What is the good in, of that? So faith can't by itself can is that all it, no works is dead. But someone will say you have faith, but and you eyes have works so me your faith apart from your works and i by my works will show you my faith the word of god for the people of god thanks be to god so just about 10 years ago give or take a month or two a man named thomas grant was waiting to catch a subway train Thomas Grant was standing on a subway platform in a subway station in New York City when suddenly his vision started going all dark and blurry. Well, Thomas Grant had lived with epilepsy for years and so he knew exactly what was about to happen. He knew that he was about to have a seizure and he knew that there was nothing he could do to stop it. And the last thing that Thomas Grant saw before he blacked out completely was the yellow stripe at the edge of the platform, dividing the people waiting for the subway train from the pit where the railroad tracks ran through. Now, Thomas Grant fell headlong into the pit. He fell sprawling across the subway tracks. And the hundreds of people who were standing there on the platform with him suddenly gasped. And then hundreds of people looked down at him, sprawled on the railroad tracks, and then they started looking around at each other and murmuring. They asked each other, who's going to do something? Somebody ought to do something. It really seems like somebody should do something. Hundreds of people stood there waiting for somebody to do something. And then finally, somebody did do something. One man vaulted off of the platform. He ran along the tracks to where Thomas Grant was lying, sprawled. He put an arm under Thomas Grant and lifted him off of the subway tracks, which was not an easy thing to do. Thomas Grant was over six feet tall. He was not a small man, but this stranger lifted him up off the tracks and dragged him, dragged him to the edge of the platform. And then this stranger heaved him off of the ground, somehow lifted him up onto the platform, just as the station was filled with the sound of squee squealing brakes, just as a train came screeching in to the subway station. Uh, the stranger put his hands up on the edge of the platform and he managed to lift himself up and out of the way just as the train slid through the space where his body had been just a moment before. The man just narrowly avoided being squashed by the subway train. 
And then while those hundreds of people were still standing there stunned, the man took a second to check and see if Thomas Grant was okay. And then he did the most remarkable thing. Then when the man saw that Thomas Grant was going to be okay, he turned and he stepped through the subway train sliding doors. He stepped onto the very train that had almost squashed him like a bug just a moment before. And the doors slid closed and the train pulled out of the station. And just like that, the man was gone. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody had caught his name. Now, Thomas Grant, it turned out, Thomas Grant recovered just fine. And for the next few days, this was one of the biggest news stories in all of New York City. The newspapers ran all sorts of headlines about this story. They sent out reporters to try to find this mysterious subway hero to figure out who this stranger could be. And of course, New Yorkers spent a few days patting themselves on the back and congratulating themselves for being such a heroic and selfless group of people that somebody, some one of them would jump down in front of a speeding subway train to to rescue a complete stranger. And the moment I remember the most about this story, the thing I remember the most about this moment 10 years ago was was something I saw when I was reading a, a newspaper article. I was on the website of one of the New York City newspapers, and as I was reading an article about this mysterious stranger and what had happened to Thomas Grant, I noticed that this newspaper had included with the article an online survey, the sort of poll that newspapers always always seem to run with articles these days. In their poll, they asked their readers to answer a simple yes or no question. It was the same question that many people in New York City had been asking themselves for for the last few days. This newspaper asked people to click yes or click no to this question. Would you have done what this mysterious subway hero did? Would you jump down onto the subway tracks in order to save the life of a complete stranger? At the time I read this article, at the time that I saw the survey, 300 people had participated. 300 people had answered the question and taken the poll. And I wonder if you can guess, out of those 300 people, how many of the 300 people who took the survey do you think clicked yes? How many of those 300 people said, yes, I would absolutely be as heroic as that stranger was. I would jump in front of a subway train to save a stranger. How many people do you think out of 300? It turns out the answer is 228. 228 out of the 300 people who completed this poll said, yes, I would be a hero. Yes, I would jump off of the subway platform. Yes, I would put my own life in danger in order to rescue a stranger. And of course, that raises an interesting question. If 76% of us believe that we're heroes, If 76% of us believe that we would be willing to jump off a platform in front of a moving train in order to save the life of a stranger, then why is it that when Thomas Grant was lying there sprawled across the railroad tracks, hundreds of people stood there doing nothing and only one, only one person out of all of those hundreds of people actually jumped down on the tracks and put his life at risk? It's almost as if who we say we are on the internet and who we actually are in real life are two completely different people. It's almost as if what we say we will do when we're on the internet and what we actually do in the real world are two completely different things. And of course, it turns out this is exactly the case. It turns out that it's a lot easier 
When we're sitting there in our pajamas in front of a keyboard, it's a lot easier to move the cursor over to the side of the screen and click, yes, I would be a hero, than it is to actually be a hero in real life. And this phenomenon is so common, the gap, the chasm between who we are when we're on the internet and who we are in the real world. What we say we will do when we're on the internet and what we actually do in the real world. This phenomenon of, of the chasm between those two identities is so common that there's actually a wonderful word for it. Well, the internet has given us a word, a word for this phenomenon. The internet has given us this wonderful word, slacktivism. Have you heard this word? Now, slacktivism is a combination of two different words. It's a, a combination of the word slacker and activism. Now, slacktivism is a word for what happens when we support a cause, when we support changing the world in some important way, but we support it in a way that doesn't actually require us to give anything, anything valuable of ourselves to that cause. Slacktivism is a word for what happens when we say that we will do one thing, but then we act in a completely different way. And of course, the internet has given us lots and lots of ways to engage in slacktivism, right? Especially on social media, there are many ways for us to be a slacktivist. You can change your profile picture and add a, a picture frame on Facebook to say that you are a person who is opposed to racism. Or you can click like on somebody's, somebody's story about how they're working to end hunger. Or you can retweet a, a news article about some injustice that is happening in the world. Now, all of those things in and of themselves are not, are not bad things. It's good to take a stand. It's good to use our voice. It's good to use the power of social media to, to speak up for what is right and to speak up for God's kingdom and God's justice in this world. But the moment this all becomes problematic is when we do those things, we change our picture frame, we click like, we retweet something, and then we take no further action beyond that. We don't actually do anything to end racism. We don't actually do anything to end hunger. We don't actually do anything to end injustice. Instead, we just pat ourselves on the back and say, well, now everybody knows what a wonderful and caring person I am. My work here is done. There's nothing more for me to do. That's the moment when our caring turns into, into slacktivism. Now, the word slacktivism has been around since the, the 1990s, but of course, the, the phenomenon of slacktivism has been around a lot longer than that. It's always been possible for people to engage in slacktivism. Now, maybe some of you can even remember the, the ways that people could be slacktivists before the internet was invented. And back before the internet, there were, were lots of ways to be a slacktivist. You could put bumper stickers on your car. You could wear buttons or, or pins on your lapel to show what causes you thought were important. You could wear a piece of jewelry in the shape of a cross. I'm going to give you a moment to, to meditate on that one. I'm going to take a moment to let that one sink in. It turns out, it turns out it's easy to carry the cross as long as the cross is shiny and small enough to hang on a chain around our necks. It's always been possible for people to engage in slacktivism. As a matter of fact, we know that slacktivism was even a problem in the very earliest days of the Christian faith. We know that because the Apostle James writes about it in his letter to the church. In this morning's scripture reading, we have a passage from a letter that was written by a man named James. And many people believe that the James who wrote this letter was, was the brother of Jesus and one of the most important leaders of the early church. And as a leader in the church, way back in the very earliest days of the Christian faith, 
The Apostle James noticed what many Christian leaders since him have noticed. He noticed that the people who made the most noise about their faith in Jesus were often nowhere to be found when it was actually time to roll up our sleeves and do the work of Jesus. James noticed that the people who were quickest to work Jesus into a conversation, the people who had the most fish-shaped bumper stickers on their cars, the people who made the biggest deal of dropping their offering envelope into the offering plate on Sunday morning were often nowhere to be found when it came time to actually feed the hungry and clothe the poor and to visit people who were sick and in prison. And of course, when James saw this happening in the church where he was a leader, he wasn't surprised because his brother Jesus had spent most of his ministry warning about exactly this kind of religious faith. If we read the words of Jesus, if we listen to the words of Jesus carefully, we will discover that Jesus over and over again warns about the dangers of slacktivism, warns about people who talk the talk without walking the walk. In the Sermon on the Mount, 2,000 years before the word slacktivism was invented, Jesus coined a phrase of his own. Did you know that Jesus was the very first person to use the word hypocrite to describe somebody who says one thing but then goes and does another? Beware of the hypocrites, Jesus says. Beware of people who pray loudly on street corners. Beware of people who make a big production out of dropping their envelope into the offering plate. Don't be like the hypocrites, Jesus says. When you pray, pray secretly. When you give, give secretly. When you do good works, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Trust that your Father in heaven, who sees everything that happens in this world, will see your good works. And that your Father in heaven will be pleased with your good works. Perform every good work as if you're performing for an audience of one, Jesus says, and your Father in heaven will be well pleased. Jesus says, on the day of judgment, there will be many people who come to me saying, Lord, Lord. And on that day, I will look at many of those people and I will say to them, go away from me. For even though you call me Lord, I never really knew you. Jesus, over and over again in his ministry, warns, warns about the dangers of hypocrisy, warns about the dangers of slacktivism, warns about the temptation to say something and then pat ourselves on the back and be proud of ourselves as if we have done something. And James, at, at one point in his ministry, looks around his church and he sees that the followers of Jesus are forgetting about this warning. James looks around his church and he sees that, that many of the followers of Jesus are engaging in exactly the kind of religion that Jesus warned about. And so James realizes that this warning of Jesus will need to be renewed over and over again from generation to generation and day by day in our hearts and in our ears that we will need to be reminded of the dangers of hypocritical slacktivist Christian faith. And so James sits down at his desk and he writes a letter and in his letter, he reminds people about the teachings of Jesus. This is what James says in his letter. He says, what good is it if you say you have faith, but don't have works? James says, what good is it if somebody comes to you hungry and you give that person a blessing, but you don't give them any bread? James says, as people are looking at us, as people are examining our lives and trying to figure out who, who is Jesus, who are these followers of Jesus, what is the Christian faith all about, James says, do you think that people will be impressed by our noisy worship 
in by us loudly calling Jesus Lord? Or do you think that people will be impressed by our works of charity and mercy? Faith without works is dead faith, James says. Don't have dead faith. Have a living faith. Have a faith that is alive with the works of Jesus. I think about that warning. I think about those words of, of the Apostle James often when I'm on the internet. And when I'm about to change my, my Facebook profile picture to support some cause or another, when I'm about to click like on somebody's post, I often hear the voice of Jesus. I often hear the voice of James speaking to me and asking me this question, how are you going to back up these words with actual action? After you click like, after you change your, your picture frame, what are you then going to do about it? Are you going to do something about it? Or are you merely changing your frame? Are you only clicking like so that people will know, people will think that you are a wonderful and caring person. People will see you as some kind of hero out there in internet land in a way that doesn't reflect who you are in the real world. I want to come back to the story of Thomas Grant. You didn't think I was finished with, with the story of Thomas Grant, did you? You didn't think I was going to leave the story hanging there. A few days after Thomas Grant was rescued from his, his near collision with the subway train, somehow some reporter finally tracked down the mysterious stranger. Somebody figured out who the mysterious subway hero was. It turns out that the, the mysterious subway hero was a man named Carlos Flores. And so, of course, Carlos Flores was interviewed by all of the newspapers in New York, and he got to go on all the talk shows. And, and in one of those interviews, there was a, a beautiful and awkward moment when Carlos Flores was honest in a way that I think few of us would probably have the courage to, to be honest. Now, in one particular interview, there's a moment when a reporter looks at Carlos Flores and says, why did you do it? What were you thinking when you looked down and you saw Thomas Grant lying there on the, on the tracks? And Carlos Flores looks at this reporter and he says, well, he says, when I looked down and saw that man lying there on the tracks, he said, I was thinking if the train comes in and runs him over, it's going to make an awful mess. And then they're going to have to stop all of the trains and they're going to have to clean up the mess. And then the police are going to come and the police are probably going to want to take statements from everybody who was a witness, everybody who's here in the subway station. I was thinking that if that man gets run over by that train, then I'm probably not going to get to work today. And Carlos Flores said, and that day, that day was Sunday. And if I go into work on Sunday, I get paid time and a half and Christmas is coming and my son wants a new PlayStation. When I looked down and saw that man lying there on the tracks, I thought to myself, I need to get to work today so I can get my kid a new PlayStation. And God bless him for being honest. Here's, here's the word of encouragement that I want to leave with you today. If God could use Carlos Flores... If God could use a man who just wanted to get to work so he could get paid, so he could get his son a new PlayStation, if God could use Carlos Flores to save a life and inspire an entire city, just imagine what God could do with a congregation full of people who sincerely want to heal creation and save the world. Just imagine what God could do with a congregation filled with people who believe that the best way to show the world our faith is through our works. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would save us 
from the dangers and temptations of hypocrisy and slacktivism. God, we pray that you would speak to us each day when we're about to click like, when we're about to share a post, when we're about to change our profile picture in support of this cause and that cause. God, we pray that you would ask us difficult questions until who we are in the internet and who we are in the real world is the one and the same person. God, we pray that you would place within us a desire, a desire to do the works of Jesus, that this world might know him through us. All these things in Jesus we pray. Amen.